Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, Revelation chapter 17. I'm gonna pro- I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try as hard as I can not to say whore of Babylon because <laughs> I've been told that that's that's unacceptable. You can't talk like that in our day. So I will try to use prostitute and harlot. <laughs> but today I've been waiting for since we started Revelation because this. Imagery is some of the most rich, colorful language that we have in this book. This chapter is chocked full of powerful stuff that is applicable today. And it carries over into uh, chapter 18, but we'll cover that next week. So Revelation chapter 17 comes on the heels of 16. Last week we were going through the seven bowls of wrath that God is pouring out on the earth at his return. And we ended with that last bowl of 100 pound hailstones crushing those on planet earth that have taken the seal of the dragon. I had an interesting conversation on the way home with my kids uh, last week. Do you think that the 100 pound hailstones are little bullets? Or do you think they're like big VW bus size hailstones that weigh 100 pounds? Uh, My wife said that she thinks it's like kettlebells, (laughs) Like like a cannonball. Um, I like that interpretation, Uh, I do. I don't wanna think too deeply on it, but I do like that interpretation. But regardless of whatever interpretation is, the point of last week was that the beast, the false prophet, all of those who've been marked by the beast as his followers will suffer punishment. But that's not the only thing that will suffer punishment and judgment. As we get into Revelation chapter 17 today, we find that judgment isn't just coming to the beast and the dragon and the false prophet and those marked with the mark of the beast. Judgment is coming for every worldly system and structure that mankind has created to elevate itself above the glory of God. Judgment is coming to earth, not just to people who reject the lamb, but entire systems that reject the lamb. And here is the power of how Jesus communicates to John this reality. We're given a picture of the prostitute of Babylon. We'll get to it in a minute. But this woman that we're gonna read about today is a symbol wrapped in a symbol wrapped in a symbol. So let me explain what I mean by that. When in Genesis chapter 11, when mankind made a decision, we're gonna elevate ourselves above our God, our creator, they decided, they they, they had a decision, they put in their heart that they were gonna build a city, a massive tower, and this tower was gonna elevate them above God. That tower 
called Babel eventually grew into an entire city. Now God cursed it, but that narrative idea of man elevating themselves above God, it didn't leave the heart of man after Babel. It only got worse. Eventually, this city rose up called Babylon. Same thing. And Babylon designed, their, their, their desire was to design a city that reflect the glory of man, to elevate themselves above the gods, to be the prime example when it came to agriculture and art, philosophy, government, mathematics. Their desire was to elevate themselves above everything on earth and above God, their creator. Now God destroyed Babylon and made them a wasteland in the desert but that heart, that spirit didn't leave the heart of man. It continued and it popped up again in many other nations moving forward. You see it in Persia, you saw it in Egypt, and we also see it in Rome. And Rome is the setting that John is writing this book in, and when he looks at this city, he can't help but see Babylon. When John is writing Revelation, there is no Babylon, but there is a Babylon. It's just got a different name. And so what we see in this symbol of Babylon is Babylon is a city, but it's not a city because cities are really just another symbol. So here, I want you to follow me. I want you to take, just allow your mind to kind of wrap around the idea that when any group of people gets together and starts crafting and deciding and planning and scheming, the ultimate goal always ends up the same. How do we make ourselves more elevated? How do we make ourselves more rich? How do we make ourselves more indispensable? How do we bring glory to ourselves and not our creator? It's always the same. And the symbol for that happening in the Bible is cities. Anytime mankind gets together and starts scheming, the result ends up being a city. And that city reflects the scheming of those people. Let me give you an example. Las Vegas. Like, <laughs> now I got you. Somewhere around the early 1900s, some people came into some desert town and decided we're going to make this place special. And then the 30s and the 40s rolled in, and all of a sudden casinos. And, and somewhere along the line, the scheming and the plotting and the wickedness in the heart of man to exploit people turned into a city, and, and eventually that city took on a life of its own. And in a way, this city starts controlling the people. There's this weird shift of power when humans come together to create a thing. This thing eventually starts taking on a mind of its own and this thing eventually that started with the hands of man crafting ends up becoming an idol and it becomes the thing that, the, that these people who created it worship. And it has this, this, this awful sense about it. And, and, and if we were to come up with a, a symbol to represent what cities were, the best one to come up with would be a prostitute. A city who says, come to me 
and I will satisfy all of your needs if you just pay the price. But again, this isn't just locked to cities. This is locked to any institution. This is, this is true about technology. This is true about Hollywood. This is true about education. And the reason why I'm saying this is because we're reading about a period at the very end, just as Jesus is about to return, where the entire world has gone full Babylon. And everywhere you look, every institution, every structure, every entity that was created with the hands of man has become a prostitute. I will gladly shift my morals for the right price. But here's the crazy thing about prophecy. It's not just true once. It's not just true about the moment before Jesus returns. It's true over and over and over again. And so when you're looking at the world today, as we're about to read Revelation 17, and you see that on the eve of Christ's return, cities, politicians, finance, education, entertainment, all function like a prostitute, shifting their morals for the right price, that at the end, anything that's not marked as holy to the Lord is for sale like a prostitute. I want you to, I don't want you to just sit back in your seat and say, man, it's going to get bad. It's going to get real rough. And no, no, I want this imagery to open your eyes to what's happening around you today. I want you to look at education a little bit differently. I want you to look at movies a little bit differently. I want you to watch YouTube videos and so-called experts, even in the church community, who are trying to convince you of things, but on the back end, all they really want is to be over the top in the way they display information and controversy so that you will keep clicking and Google will keep sending them a check. Everybody's for sale if they're not marked holy to the Lord. You ready? Let's get to it. Revelation chapter 17. Let's start with verse 1. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with who the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, and holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. 
Let's pause there. So this chapter starts with a connection to the previous chapter. Who is giving John this vision? It's one of the seven angels that had the seven bowls. So interpretively, what we're seeing is the destruction of the great prostitute of Babylon taking place during the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath. When does the destruction of the great world economies, the great institutions of the world that have given themselves over to the prostitution of sexual immorality, that have sold themselves and shifted their morals and their values for the right price, when is their destruction? It takes place during that period we read about last week as the seven bowls are being poured out. But the way that she is destroyed is unique. We'll come back to that. What I want to look at now is the description of this prostitute because as I said, this is symbolism on symbolism on symbolism. This is multi-layered. The first thing that we see about the great prostitute of Babylon is that she is seated on many waters, which is an Old Testament database reference back to Jeremiah 51.13, when Jeremiah is speaking of the true, real city Babylon, who was seated on many waters. Isaiah 51.13, Jeremiah is prophesying to the city of Babylon, the one who is seated on many waters, literally seated on many waters, but in this vision, Babylon is seated on many waters, but the waters aren't actual waters. We're told, as we get to the end of this in 1715, that the waters are actually the people of the earth. So who is the great prostitute of Babylon over the entire people of the earth? She is, lord, excuse me, <clears throat> she is lording over and dominating over the people of the earth. This imagery reminds us of the dominance that this woman operates with. And then we're told that she's making the nations drink the wine of her sexuality, which is another reference back to Jeremiah 51.7 when Jeremiah is talking about the literal Babylon. You are the one who is making the, the nations drink of the wine of your sexual immorality. Now Babylon's long gone when John is talking about this, but the things about Babylon aren't just true when the city is standing because the city has a spirit behind it. And this spirit has been let loose even in our age today in 2022. And the spirit is making the nations drink of the wine of her sexual immorality, which speaks to the fact that everyone on earth seems to be under her intoxicating control. She has unbelievable influence. And then we're told that she is riding the beast which is the Antichrist from Revelation 13. The beast that rose up out of the sea, the one with seven heads and 10 horns, the one that's got, that's body is scarlet, same beast. The prostitute of Babylon is riding the Antichrist. He, she is taking advantage of his nationalistic alliances and she is fueling her desire for drunkenness across the globe and she's using nations, leaders, she's literally riding them in order to further her agenda. 
speaks to the manipulation that this woman is operating with. And then we see what she's wrapped in. She's, got, she's, she's wrapped in purple and scarlet. She's got gold and jewels. This is a callback to Revelation chapter 12 when we see another woman who isn't clothed in scarlet, or excuse me, not clothed uh, with uh, purple and scarlet and ad- or uh, adorned with gold and jewels. The woman in Revelation 12 is clothed with the sun and the sun, the moon is under her feet and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. You've got one woman who has wrapped herself in man-made things and you've got another woman who's wrapped herself in God-made things. And the reason why we see this is because the great prostitute of Babylon is a parody of God's people. We talked about the Antichrist's desire to play the part of the dragon's role to mirror or become the imposter of the real Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, the dragon fancies himself like the Father, Yahweh, and so he needs a son figure, that's the Antichrist. He needs a Holy Spirit figure, that's the false prophet. We also need a people, so he marks them with the mark of the beast but he also needs a city because Jesus is building up his people as a city, as a temple. Each person is like a stone in this city, this holy city he's building that he's gonna dwell in his people with. Well, the Antichrist needs a city too. The dragon wants a city and his city doesn't look anything like God's city. And the contrast here is a woman, a true mother who's birthing the people of God and you've got this mother of prostitutes. She doesn't birth holy people. She births more prostitutes and abominations. She's not a real mother. She's the kind of mother who exploits her offspring. And we see that she's in the wilderness, which is the same location that the other woman ran to for comfort. And now we see this woman has has gone to the wilderness in order to pursue the other woman because there can only be one woman And this woman wants to consume that other woman and she's using the Antichrist to get her way. So both of these women are now in the wilderness and the prostitute is drinking the blood of the saints. She's drunk with the blood of the martyrs, speaking to how cruel and violent she is. What is John's response when he sees this woman? He marvels at her. Now why is a disciple of Jesus who's been caught up into one of the most amazing visions, let's face it, this is one of the most amazing visions probably any person of God has ever had. This is wild. And to remember it enough to write it down, this is, why is this guy looking at this woman and marveling? Because that word marvel is the same word that Jesus used when he saw the faith of the centurion. John, what are you doing? Why are you marveling at this disgusting prostitute? The reason why is because even though she's disgusting and vile, she is offering the kinds of things that our flesh want if we don't put it to death. And even though it's not something that we should partake of and it's not something that we as regenerated believers want, it's something that appeals to your flesh and you can't help but look and marvel. Go to verse 17. 
This is my favorite verse. Chapter 17, verse 7. This is the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The angel looks at John and says, what are you doing? Marvel at that disgusting whore. What are you? I know that in your heart, there are things that might seem appeal, appealing because, because she always knows the right thing to say. She seems to know what is, what is your button to push. Maybe it's not sexual immorality. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's that sense of just, I've got to be in the know. I have to know all the information. So I lean towards gossip. She knows that's your button and she likes pushing it. Because when she does, then you get drunk under her control. This angel says, what are you doing? No, 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 don't marvel at her. This goes back to uh, our study in Isaiah, when Isaiah, he, he spent like 15 chapters giving oracles against the nations. Do not make foreign alliances. Do not go down to Egypt and think their chariots can save you because Egypt is under judgment. Do not go up and make an alliance with Assyria because Assyria is under judgment. Do not go into the wilderness and make some alliance with some foreign tribe because those foreign tribes are under judgment. You've only got one hope. You put your hope in Yahweh or you will suffer the same destruction as these nations who are under judgment. John stopped looking at her that way. Eyes up here, bud. Let me show you what's coming for that woman. Let's go to verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. I told you it was going to get weird today. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, but it was and is not and is to come. Now pause there because that is really confusing. Why is this beast being referred to as the one who was and is not and is about to come? Because this is the same beast from Revelation 13 who fancies himself a Jesus figure. He wants to be the Christ, the savior of the world, but what he's offering isn't repentance and death. What he's offering is a sword to go kill those who are putting themselves to death in the name of Jesus. Go murder those who've been marked by the lamb. That's what he's offering. And the reason why we have this phrase twice, that he is the one who was and is, about, and is not and is about to rise is because when we started Revelation, how does John describe the God of the universe? When God tells Moses in response to his question, who do I say sent me to go free the Egyptians? God's name is I am. The one who was and is and is to come. And this fake fraud is the one who is and is not 
And when he does come, won't come riding on the clouds, he will rise out of the pits of the abyss. Because this guy wants to look like Jesus, and he will fool many people into thinking he is Jesus, but this guy is not Jesus. And his destiny is destruction. This guy will go to destruction. Verse eight. Now let's go to verse nine. Now what we're about to read calls for a mind with wisdom, which means as you read this, you can't just take it at surface level. There is a requirement on the Holy Spirit level to give you insight into what he's talking about. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads on this beast that we saw the great prostitute riding on are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. But there are also seven kings. Okay, so the seven heads are seven mountains, but they're also seven kings. I got it, I don't got it. Out of these seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he will only remain for a little while. Because as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. What? <laughs> Look, I could read that nine more times and it still wouldn't make any more sense to you because it requires a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are also seven mountains, which are also seven kings. This section is highly symbolic. And it doesn't matter what commentator you read or pick up or person that you ask in church, you're gonna get a different um, perception or interpretation of what this looks like. Some folks think that these seven kings spoke of seven emperors at the time of Rome between the period of Jesus raising from the dead and the period that John was living. It makes a lot of sense, especially since Rome sat on seven hills. It was literally one of the things that was written on some of their money. They were the city on the seven hills. The only problem with that is there weren't seven kings between the period of Jesus raising from the dead and the time that John is writing. There's three kings that ruled, there's three Caesars that ruled for a very short period of time and it raises it all the way up to 10. And so which seven do we pick? It doesn't necessarily rule out that interpretation, but for me it makes it a little more shaky. Another interpretation is it's not literal seven kings, it's seven kingdoms, because this imagery is pulled from Daniel, when Daniel sees all these beasts rising out of the sea, and these beasts and these heads have to do with kingdoms that rose up over like 500 years of history. And so it's not necessarily a king that rose up and then another king that came up, it's kings or kingdoms. And so there's gonna be, be five kings, that ri kings or kingdoms that rise up and then, and then they're gonna fall and then there's gonna be another one in the middle and then he'll, he'll go and then there'll be a seventh one. He won't last for long, but then there's this eighth one. Another interpretation is it's not literally talking about specific kings or kingdoms. The purpose of this is to look at the broadest view 
And that is that there are going to be a number, seven is just a symbolic number of the perfect number of things that have to happen before Jesus returns. And so there's gonna be a number of kings or kingdoms that rise up over time. There's always gonna be some guy who thinks they can do it better than some other place and they're gonna rise up and rally people and build this kingdom and they're gonna elevate themselves higher than the glory of God and guess what God's gonna do? Smack them and they're gonna be gone. It's always gonna happen. Even to the one that you are with today, John, Rome. It seems like a big one that's, that's at play today, but that one's gonna be gone. And then another one's gonna rise up after that, and it's not gonna last for a long time. Uh, but the purpose of this is to let you know that after those seven, there's another one coming in eighth, who is in fact the beast, but is part of the seven in the sense that he will personify all of the horror of every king or kingdom that has risen to power before this. When this guy, the Antichrist, rises to power, you thought Stalin was bad? You thought Hitler was bad? You thought, every, you thought Nero was bad? This guy is a part of those kingdoms and he's worse because his destruction will be worldwide and it will be directed at one group of people, those who are marked with the mark of the lamb. But that guy, he's heading to destruction too. As Horrific as this sounds, this guy will not succeed. He will be crushed. He will be destroyed. But here's the thing. We know this. We know that kingdoms are gonna rise and kingdoms are gonna fall. But there's this sense that what about, what about after that? What about, what about this great prostitute? And the angel's like, yeah, we're gonna get there, but I also have to tell you about these 10 horns because when this Antichrist rises up, he won't just be a man with power, he'll be a man with 10 kingdoms or entities of power behind him. Verse 12, now remember, this, this beast, this Antichrist is going to destruction, but before he does, he's gonna rally power. I'm gonna give you the interpretation of the 10 horns. Verse 12, the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they, ha they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So again, are these 10 literal kings? Do I need to be watching North Korea? The answer to that is yes, but not exclusively just for this. Like, is it Russia? Is it Germany? Who do I need to be looking for? Well, it doesn't really matter who you're looking for because there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Like these things have been prophesied 2,000 years ago and this is all in God's plan and God's timing. The, the thing that you should be doing is taking comfort that you're not counted among those who will suffer destruction. Those who think they're gonna bring destruction will suffer destruction at the hands of our God. And so is it 10 horns? Do I, do I need to start 
playing geopolitics, so I need to set up my, my RSS feed, so I'm like tracking 10 nation alliances. Is this the UN? Is that you? Who do I need to be looking for? Look, you can play that game all you want, but it's just gonna drive you insane because that's not the point of it. Because I'm not even convinced that it's 10 literal kings. It might be 10 kings in a sense that does not, it's not restricted to nationalistic borders. You show me the guy who is, the char, who is in charge of the largest social media network that can sway the attention of people with just the way that he allows things to show up or not show up on people's news feeds. I don't know, that guy seems like a king. So when this antichrist beast rise up and he's got 10 horns of power, maybe we're not just looking for some guy who was voted in or took power because he had lots of guns. Maybe we're looking for the kind of influencer on Instagram that has the power to sway an entire election just by posting a post about an opinion she has or he has about a thing. You see where I'm going with this? The point is at the end of the age, our entire understanding of power will be disrupted and all of it will give itself to this beast. There's coming a day when the entire economy, finance, education will all be shouting the same thing and it seems to be heading in one direction. I know it's hard for you to wrap your head around this, right? You can't hardly see this. I don't know what this is like. What would that be like if, if every post I saw and every time I turned on the news and, and every, ed, every professor, they're all saying the same, what would that be like? Well, that's what it's gonna be like at the end. Uh-huh. Yeah. The point is that that seems scary. What do a group of people who have been told that your most valuable weapon is to love your neighbor and your enemy, what do they do in a society where every source of power has it out for them? That seems scary. So the angel reminds the believers in the first century and us today, hey, you don't have to be afraid. Because that guy, he's gonna fall too. And it may seem that every movie you watch and news report you see and class you sit in is all shouting the same ideology in your face and there's no end to it, but let me let you know, he's coming back and there will be an end to it because the lamb will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in all the earth. It's a non-negotiable, it is going to happen. Cool, 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 cool. All right, so the, 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 the beast is gonna fall, right? The, the dragon, is, he's gonna be destined for destruction and, and all of his people and his followers and the false prophet, good, okay, good. But what about these systems? Because I feel like I'm a part of these systems right now. What is going to happen in these systems? God, how are you going to judge these corrupt systems that have turned on us and are now running our lives? We were told that when the internet is born, that it's gonna bring all of us closer together than we've ever been, and now we realize the lie we've been sold that we're further apart than we've ever been. Is there any judgment coming for that? 
Is there any judgment coming for people who legitimately create, uh, like committed crimes, murdered people, and then they're just like let out because our jails are full? Is there any sense of justice for this? What is coming for these systems that have been completely turned upside down and they're corrupt? Is there any judgment coming for them? The answer is yes. Go to verse 15. How is God going to judge the corrupt human systems in that prostitute Babylon? Well, the angel said to me, verse 15, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and the languages. They're being ruled over by this prostitute. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beasts will hate the prostitute. Wait, what? And they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Hold on, I I thought the prostitute was riding this beast, and now you're telling me that the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will turn on the prostitute, hate her, make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire? Yep, that's the punishment she has. Because you can't crush a corrupt system with a 100-pound hailstone but you can make it burn from the inside out because the people of that system turn on it. That's the judgment coming for any system or structure or city that has elevated itself above the glory of God. It will burn to the ground at the hands of the very people who it tried to control. Why is that going to happen? Because God, verse 17, has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So how will God bring judgment on the great prostitute of Babylon? The beast and the ten horns will turn on this city and they will devour her, burn her to the ground and leave her desolate and naked. The same kind of thing that she tried to do to God's people out in the wilderness. Because there is a principle in God's word that the thing that you sin with is the thing you will be judged by. You're gonna spill blood, I'm gonna make you drink the blood. You're gonna take the life out in the wilderness of my people, I'm gonna leave you desolate and naked out in the wilderness. Your glory is gonna be brought to ruin. Now I started this today with something I've said numerous times throughout this entire book, and that is that God's word isn't just true once. God's word is true over and over and over again. Prophecy isn't something that's just true one time in the future and we just gotta wait for it to happen. No, there are shadows of it happening and being true over and over and over. And this is the perfect example. The systems and the structures of this world are not just going to be judged at the end of the age when the, when the people who are being taken advantage of those systems burn them to the ground. We see that happening now because it's always true. Here's a question for you. Where is ancient Babylon? I don't know, it's out in the desert somewhere covered in sand. 
because God saw fit for it to be stripped naked and left for dead. Where is ancient Rome? Not Rome you can go visit now and take a picture of these great structures that were once standing. Where is the great Roman Empire? It's gone. Now here's a tough one for you. Where is America? Now look, I love this country. This is the best country on the face of the earth, but a spirit has been let loose in our country where wrong is now right and right is now wrong. And it has permeated every form of authority and kingdom from the top all the way down to the bottom. And there is a warning for Babylons that flaunt themselves as not needing their creator, their destruction will be the same as every other nation who has done that. We are at a period of time where there needs to be great repentance from the top down, because if there is not, we run the risk of not having an America in another 30 years. That's what's on the line. Now this country is fantastic, but if we continue to go down this path, if we continue to allow ourselves to be drunk on the wine of sexual immorality that has been handed out by the whore of Babylon, then we, as the people of God, are going to see our lives start looking more like the lives of our brothers and sisters in other countries that can't meet publicly without persecution. Not a beacon of freedom. A prostitute riding a beast handing out goblets of the blood of the saints. So John's message to the early church is important for the early church, but it's also important to us. And here's the message. She is attractive. She has a way about her. She will sell you things you don't need and leave you in a ditch. She will lord her authority and power over you once you have drunk her wine and you have completely become so intoxicated that nothing in your life is clear. And this doesn't just come through sexual immorality, it certainly does, but it comes through every vice she sells. Alcohol, nicotine, work addiction, your desire for more and more stuff. Your unsettled attitude that robs you of the ability to be able to rest because whatever you have isn't enough. You gotta do the next thing. Whether the next thing is jump jobs or jump churches or jump wives, it doesn't matter. Whatever your life is, it's not enough. You need more. What she's selling comes in many shapes and sizes, but it always ends the same way. 
you hating yourself, hating your life, and hating your God. So this is what John is trying to get us to wake up to in the midst of this amazing imagery. And I told you this is why I've been waiting for this for so long. Because the plead today is, guys, please, please, please do not drink her wine. Do not believe her lies. You are not part of that sea that she is lording over. You, Christians, are lampstands. You are the ones who are bringing light into darkness. You are not under her control because you don't drink her drink. You are the only ones in the world seeing clearly that your life is in the midst of one of the longest running battles of human history. And it is against the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness is trying to find any way it can to purchase or lie or suck people into its power so that at the end of eternity, Satan isn't alone in his torment. But that's not us. We are the resistance in the middle of this longest running battle of human history. We are the only ones who are seeing clearly and our responsibility is to inject to divide the lies of the enemy, to expose what a prostitute this woman is and how what she's selling doesn't fulfill you. And we we, we, we tell that to our neighbors and to our coworkers and to our family. So what does this chapter give us? It gives us the kind of vibrant imagery we need to stop looking at this world the wrong way, to stop looking at evangelism the wrong way, to stop looking at your job the wrong way, to stop looking at what you're gonna do with your life or who you're gonna marry the wrong way. This picture shows us what's on the line because the great prostitute of Babylon is not some woman who's gonna rise up at the end of the age. She's already here. And she's got her tentacles all over the place. She even has her tentacles wrapped around some of you and your feet up and down the aisles this morning. You can't stop thinking about the next thing you're going to go do when you leave this place. Her tentacles are wrapped around some pastors on Sunday morning so that they can't say the truth because they're so afraid of what people will think about them or or maybe people won't come back. Her power is everywhere. So many people are under her influence. But there is a resistance. And the resistance are those people who are called and who are chosen and who treasure Jesus above the vile filth that this woman is selling. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.